to will ourselves to praise him and worship him no matter what our circumstance is. Amen. Amen. The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. So when you're, when you're at your worst or facing your hardest times, when you need to praise the most, because you need God to show up. Amen. And he's all God. I told my wife uh, yesterday, I said, get dressed real nice. We're going to go somewhere real expensive. She said, oh, great. I said, where are we going? I said, Home Depot. <laughs> Just go down the lumber aisle and see what a two-before costs. <laughs> so let's stand our feet. It's time to praise and worship the Lord. It's good to see all of you all. We getting ready to go live? All right. We welcome all of you that are watching us around the United States or around the world or anybody that gets this podcast in the next few days. We invite you to... Enjoy the presence of the Lord with us. Amen. Let me read to you from Psalm 89. It says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Amen. Do you talk good about God? You should. Tell your neighbor, say, you need to be talking good about God. Go ahead and tell them that. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David. Your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Your faithfulness also in the assembly of the saints. Say amen to that. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Say it. No one. Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? No one. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord. All right. Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. You have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Who's the mighty arm of the Lord? Jesus. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him praise this morning. Lord, we worship you and we thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace that is extended to us every day. You said it's because your mercies are new every day that none of us are consumed. Lord, and we're thankful for that mercy and grace. We're thankful for your long-suffering and your patience, your gentleness. Thankful, Lord, that you are merciful, that you've not dealt with us according to our sins, as the psalmist said, but according to your mercies. If justice would have been done, we would have died for our own sins. We're thankful for your kind of justice. Lord, that your son took our place. And everybody said, give the Lord some praise this morning. You may be seated just for a moment. We'll turn the children's church loose in just a moment. So uh, I've been really turning back to this. And I, I got some stuff I need to share with you 
about this prophetic word we got on September the 26th in 2020. We made more copies this morning for those who don't have one. And then for those who want to be renewed to it, I think we all need to be renewed to it. On this day, America was convening, Christians were convening in Washington, D.C. when I received this word. Jonathan Kahn, who many of you have seen on TV and maybe read his books, who's a Messianic Jew. He's a Jew, but he's converted. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the day that he broke that vessel. I'm not sure in his mind if he was fully, uh, maybe at that moment he was, but he came out to do a demonstration. But when he broke that vessel, I'd received this word earlier that day, and I knew God was speaking to this country in a loud way. This word on that Saturday was America has missed its day of visitation. We did exactly what Israel did. Therefore, she will begin to grope as the men in Sodom at Lot's door. The righteous will be strengthened, but the wicked will wax worse and worse. And we've been seeing that, of course. Going forward, value will be in things that sustain life. And the Holy Spirit emphasized this particular Greek word, zoe. And I'm going to interpret that for you in just a minute. America has lost its way in leading the world to the throne of God. We were the leading nation in that. The protection will remain for those who faithfully trust in the Lord, but will evaporate from those who trust in themselves and the systems of this world. God is coming to the earth, and the earth has not made proper preparation. Soon the world will begin to shake and will start its final descent toward its appointment with its creator. And then true justice will appear, and no one will be able to escape the appearance and the God's glory and his justice. See, so I was studying this word Zoe, and you live in the kind of world we're living in right at this moment and have been for the last couple of years or longer. The tendency will be to get in the flesh and try and take care of yourself. God will always hand us things off to do, but we don't need to come up with things on our own. This word zoe in the Greek means absolute life. Absolute life as God has it. That which he gave to his incarnate son. That which Jesus manifested to us when he said... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's Zoe. That's the kind of life that God's talking about. Now, I'm not saying to you God can't speak to you and tell you to store up things. He can. He did that with Joseph. Some of you are old enough to remember, maybe were in the church at the time, and when Y2K was coming in 2000, and there was panic I almost thought there was more panic in the church than there was in the world. And uh, I had a lot of folks in the church I pastored at the time say, hey, we need to store up this and that. And I said, well, we need to hear from God. I said, that's the first thing we need to do. And churches in our area and in this region were getting whole tractor and trailer loads of MRE meals and everything. And I'm good with that. 
if God speaks. But I don't like to waste money. Do any of y'all like to waste money? Raise your hand if you love to waste money. So we were praying in that whole year of 1999. There were men who wrote books, secular and Christians, who made a lot of money off their books. And we know that Y2K never unfolded. But in October that year, I heard a word from God, and he said, do not store. And I handed that off to the church. Not everybody received it. Some of them still stored. And if you can make the argument that we're just now living in a culture where people store things. When I was growing up, anybody know what a tater is? We had to dig taters when they were ready to be dug. And we stored them in the cellar or under the house in a cool, dry place. And when we went to retrieve them through the winter, we had to fight granddaddy long legs and all that to get to them. This thing of not having enough food for a season is just a new phenomenon because we've always stored for the winter. He talks about the ant. But we need to hear from God. And so this word Zoe is important. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because God is saying to us, you need to focus more on your spiritual life than your physical life. And that will be the challenge in the kind of world we're living in, right? When gas prices are out of sight, uh, bacon's out of sight. That makes me more mad than gas. Uh, milk is out of sight. You know, a lot of things are going up, and the tendency is to panic and to get in the flesh. But God clearly told us what we were headed into. Not only with that word. That word is just affirmation of things he's already said in the scripture. He just spelled it out in a way we can understand it. Clear and concise. And that's how I know when God's talking to me. He uses words I don't use. I would have never used those words. Some of them. And he says he gets a lot more said in a lot fewer words than I would. That's how God talks to us. So just think about that. That your life is more, your spiritual journey is more important. And that's what you should focus on more than the natural man. It's always a trick from the enemy to get us to focus on the natural man more than the spiritual man. So don't fall into that trap. Amen. Children's Church is dismissed. Brother Michael will take you over. There's a nursery next door as well. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, Psalm 73. This is the kind of world that we <clears throat> live in now where it's a challenge for us. If you listen to the news or watch the news or watch the world in its uh, uh, antagonistic approach and you see how Christianity is basically relegated to the sideline in the culture, how are we going to live? So let's look at a psalmist who struggled with that. In Psalm 73, Asaph, one of David's men, said, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So there is, when you look at somebody who basically could care less about God, and they seem to have no troubles, that can be a challenge. When you look at folks that don't even care about God's ways, 
his house, his plan. They certainly have no uh, understanding of reaching the lost or anything like that. When life's all about them and they seem to be doing fine, they never have visited the doctor. Their checking account's always full. Everything's working well for them. It can be troubling. Sometimes we can say, man, I, I, I'm trying to follow the Lord and do all this. And Then he says, for I was envious of the boastful. I was, saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death. That's how the devil lies, right? He starts telling us they don't have any trouble. But their strength is firm. Now, remember what he said. He said, I was, my feet were about to slip. And his feet were about to slip because he was getting bothered in his mind, in his soulish realm. So you got to remember that. Your feet don't go anywhere that the mind and soul's not projecting them. So the soul is where we have our mind. You are a triune vessel, our will, and our emotions. Now that's why we're cautioned about the soulish man. Because you can govern your life with your own will, your own emotions, or your own mind. That's not how God intended for us to live. As we were born again, you know the circle. He, we, have a, we have a triune vessel. We have a body. Uh, we have a soul. And we have a spirit that is dormant until the Holy Spirit takes up residence there. And so uh, your mind, this soulish realm, is what's going to influence you. So as you come into Christ, as you're born again, redeemed, saved, however you want to say that, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence right here inside of you. His desire is to start being the influential force into this soulish realm. You should not live by bread, by bread alone, but by every word. So he feeds, the, the spirit man feeds off the word. The trouble is we need sanctified. And sanctification is a process. It's not a one-time thing. Paul said we're sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. So... The more word you get, the more influence your, the, your spirit man becomes. And he starts pushing his authority and his influence in all regions of our life. Now, the Holy Spirit's available for a lot of things, just like I read to you. But the number one thing for the Holy Spirit is to secure a bride for Christ, lead people to Christ, and then to conquer those people. You know, we have things that get in God's way. And so this journey of sanctification is with the Word. The Word is imperative. And so the Word's coming into this spirit man or woman, and the more he gets filled up, the more influence he has to where he can bring the body and the soul into subjection to the Word of God. There's nothing going to go right without the Word of God. The Bible says in Psalm 138 that God has magnified His Word above His name. 138 verse 2 of Psalm says that God has magnified His Word above His name. Now let's think about how big His name is. The Bible says there's no other name where men might, men might be saved, right? We know Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sitkanu, all those names that God hands off to us who, that all have power and authority. But He said He's magnified His Word above His name. So you can't do, tell your neighbor, say, you can't do anything right without God's Word. You can't. You can't have the right relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your brothers and sisters, in business or anything, unless you bring God. You can't. And I'm going to say it. It's like you don't even know how to pray correctly unless you know God's Word. 
You don't know how to worship correctly unless you know God's Word. It all starts with God's Word. So this guy is what's happening. He knows who God is, but the enemy's coming in and trying to influence all this soulish rim on him. So he's starting to think the people who don't love God, who could care less about God, are better off than him. That's how he's thinking. He says, there's no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. And that's, that's what's happening. His soulish man is seeing all this. He's bringing it into himself. And basically, the underlying theme is, it's not really working out for me. It's not doing me much good to serve the Lord. And he says, they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walks through the earth. They're arrogant. They're proud. They're boastful. He mentioned them being boastful already. Therefore, his, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained to them. That everything goes right for them. But that's just not true. And then he, he says, and they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge in the Most High. So these people have no fear of God. They don't have any fear of God. And he says, Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease, and they increase their in riches. People who are not following God, who are seem to be doing great. And he says, uh, How does God know? They're increasing. Surely I have... And here's his frustration, right? He's... His sliding backwards he's struggling he says surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence I, I've, I've had that with people before they, they try to do the right thing and then the devil shows up I, I want you to know this you, you and I have an adversary his name is the Hebrew is Hasatan we call him Satan he's your adversary He's not really too worried about you until you start pursuing God. As long as he can keep you dormant or running with the world or just sitting on your seat of do-nothing like happened to Eli eventually, then he's fine. The devil is not working on everybody getting high in some location. He's already got them. He's working on you and me. They're blind. The people that live in sin, that run after the things of the world... They're blind. The devil's already got them captivated. Who's he concerned about? You and I. He hates it when you and I decide to go after God with everything, to follow him, to pursue him. You have an adversary. You have somebody who opposes you in your spiritual journey. Now, your trials grow as you walk with God, but so does your strength. The way God's designed this is your trials make you stronger that when the next trial comes, even though it's harder than the last one your strength is outrunning the trials that's how god's designed christian it's like a weight room in in the natural right your strength you had this challenge and then you got stronger and the challenges may have increased but you got stronger ahead of the challenges and that's how god works in our lives so satan is really working on this guy and every one of us have probably been here it may not have been the same thing but you've probably been here maybe you said well those people uh don't follow the Lord at all. They don't have any trouble with their children. And my children act like they sleep at the devil's house sometimes. I mean, it could be anything. 
It could be anything where you feel that frustration of thinking, those people could care less about God and everything's okay with them. And here I am in love with God and trying to follow him and I'm getting my brains beat out. I got amen from a baby back there. <laughs> I like it. And so he said, uh, he said, I've washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God. So he's having that battle, right? If you, if you look at people that don't love God and they seem to be doing great and you're battling, well, you have an adversary who's opposing you, and he's got those guys blinded. And he's got them pursuing things, and they don't even know they're running down his path. And he likes it that way. The devil does not like to be exposed. And so when you become a believer, he gets exposed to you. The Bible said Jesus made us uh, expose him openly. Uh, now, the Bible says that Goliath came to the valley. Who brought Goliath to the valley? God did. That God brought him to the valley. He didn't, was able, not able to stay behind the fortress or the tree line or whatever. God brought Goliath to the valley. And so David could take his head off. And you had a man of faith. It was God who brought Goliath to the valley. We look at Goliath down the valley and say, oh no, the world's getting ready to fall apart. No, God brought Goliath to the valley because he intended for David to overcome him. So when you see your enemy out in the open, that's God's moment in your life saying, it's time for him to go. And I've given you the power and the strength to overcome him. That's why the devil loves to stay hidden. That's why he dwells in darkness. The Bible said he comes by as an angel of light. So the devil don't like to be exposed. Once he's out in the open, then he knows he's, he's in trouble. And so he, God brought Goliath out in the valley that day because he was going to send a man who trusted in him. Not a man who tried. The Bible says David was ruddy. That meant that he wasn't nearly the stature of Saul and some of the other guys in Israel. In fact, he was not. He was probably the least good-looking guy specimen out of out of uh, Jesse's sons. Because Samuel come over looking for him, and they didn't even bring David in because he was not older. He was the youngest. All that stuff going on. He was out with the sheep, so Jesse didn't bring him in. And so Samuel said, "Hey, this." These are the guys. He said, I, the Holy Spirit's not sanctioning any of these guys. And, they, and Je, he said, do you have another child? And he said, yeah, I've got one. He said, go get him. And they brought him in. But he was a man after God's heart. Do you know that with the amount of faith that's available to a Christian, that we have more power than a president or a king? We do. We've got more power because the Holy Spirit's our side and we have access to him through and the father and the son and all the angels that didn't leave their first estate like Peter talks about we have more power available to us the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of us you think about that for a minute so he's troubled but now he's starting to get back on track he says it was too painful for me until I went to the sanctuary of God now what's in God's sanctuary back in those days that's where they heard the Word of God. That's why they, they, that what, that's what the sanctuary represents. They didn't have Bibles back in those days, so they went to where the sanctuary. Jesus went to the reading even when he came around. All of that stuff that, that represents to them getting the Word of God. It says, it was too painful until I went to the sanctuary of God. Basically, it was too painful until I remembered what God said. 
It says, Then I understood therein. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. And when I was growing up, I was probably late high school or out of high school, and the two counties, one that I lived in, the one right next to it, the two biggest promoters of uh, addictions and all the things that go along with that, hit, they were doing fine. They had more money than anybody around for a while. And you can't make this up. They hit each other head on and killed each other in a crash. They're running hard and fast and look like life's going and then all of a sudden, sudden destruction. And that's what he's saying. He's saying they come in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. They're destroyed. As a dream, when one awakes, so Lord, you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. When you think they're doing better than you are following God, that's foolish. Because God, we have eternal life abiding in us, right? We, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Basically, what God's saying, you can't lose if you're following Him. So I was foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me in your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a good word. For indeed, those who, fall, who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near you. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. Now the word for hope in the Old Testament is yakal. Yakal is an interesting word because it is similar to the word that we have in the New Testament, which is el piso. Yakal means expectation to stretch out the mind in a straight direction toward the object of hope. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's got all kinds of stuff going on around him. But he's going to drive through that and keep his hope without a question mark. It's very similar to the New Testament because of the object he's put it in. Now, I know people hope in a lot of things. There'll be people all over this state this morning scratching off tickets hoping in that, right? They will. That's their hope. There'll be people that hope in natural systems, things in this world. There'll be people that'll hope in a relationship and all the, there'll be people that hope in their intellect or, or their education. You can put your hope in all kinds of things. But we need to put our hope in the Lord. El piso is the Greek word. And in the New Testament, we find this all over the New Testament. Uh, El piso which is the word we translate hope. And I've, uh, I've, it's hope without a question mark, right? Because of who the hope is in. It's in Christ, who can't lie, who can't fail, all of that. In Christ. That's why you have hope without a question mark. If you hope for something in this life, you always put a question mark around it, right? I hope that it don't rain. Well, you don't control that, so you have to put a question mark. But in the case of the New Testament and this Old Testament word, it's there's no question mark because of who the hope is in. I hope in Jesus Christ, right? In Him, I live and move and have my being. So this psalmist is doing the same thing. You're going to see other psalmists do that. Let's go to Psalm 42. 
me show you something else here. And I, I've probably cleared this up a hundred times, but uh, this psalm is so abused and misused that he's even sang wrong in some worship music. But it, <clears throat> it says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. This is, he says, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. <clears throat> and, kept, and, and the multitude that kept a pilgrim feet. So he used to go to the house of God. You see that? If you don't go to God's house, I'm just going to say this. And you know I'm not a legalistic guy. We don't put any pressure on anybody to do anything. But if you don't go to God's house, you cannot maintain your strength and joy. You need to feed off that that God brings to the congregation. He brings Himself. He manifests Himself in there. You also don't... And I, I, I read my Bible every day. I listen to it all the time. But you, it's different. God appointed some people in the, the, the five-fold ministry... To have a mantle to not just give you a word, but to give you a seasoned word at the right time. You should, and I know everybody don't do that. I know guys get their sermons off the internet and whatever. But that don't fault God because he had a plan. And so you, that's part of maintaining your joy so that you can have your strength. And that's what's happened to this guy. He said, I used to go. All right, You don't want to say that about anything about your spiritual life. I used to pray. I used to read my Bible. I used to be faithful to God's house. I used to tithe. I used to give. You don't want to say that about your spiritual life because that's where your power and strength and your help comes from, being faithful and obedient to God. You don't want to say those things about your life. You don't have a sign that says, well, I used to pray a lot. What? That, don't, that doesn't need to be your lot. And I, I'm going to tell this on myself. I got reprimanded. Then they didn't even know I was getting reprimanded. I was sitting in Cincinnati at a table with a bunch of ministers, and one of the guys who knew my life, and this was, this was years ago, I started praying, and I couldn't get enough of praying. And, and he said, he said, if you want to know somebody that prays, he pointed at me, he said, that guy right there prays. And I, it hit me, I had let off. I used to go to the creek bank every day and wait on the Lord. But I had let up for whatever reason, got distracted, and I just looked at those guys, and I said, may I be excused? We were sitting in an olive garden. And I just lost everybody by telling you that, didn't I? Everybody got hungry. Breadsticks, meatballs, that. I'm making it worse. I got in a flesh. And I said, may I be excused? And I walked outside and found me a place behind some of those bushes they had at Olive Garden and repented. I said, that's not who I am today, God. And I asked God to forgive me and, and to be what I really knew to be and what I had been. So you don't want to say, I used to do that when it comes to your spiritual life. You want to be on top of that. That's why I wanted to bring this prophecy out again because that word Zoe is what that's emphasizing. That your spiritual life got to be first. Your spiritual life. That's what happened to Esau, right? Esau come in from hunting all day, and Jacob's fixing soup, beans, and cornbread, probably lentils, but we'll put it in our term. And he's hungry, and he said, I'm about to die. He wasn't about to die. You can go without food for more than 24 hours. I know we don't like to, but we can. 
And so he sells his birthright for a bowl of beans. You know why? Because he had greater emphasis on his natural man than he did his spiritual man. And that's what Abraham was trying to hand down to these boys, right? That's why he pitched his tent and built his altar. He had more uh, st stock in his altar than he did his physical life. He made sure that he was keeping things prioritized. And then he goes on to say, he says, Oh my God. He, or verse uh, 5 says, why are, you, uh, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieting me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mazar. Deep calls unto deep in the noise of the waterfalls as your waves, billows, your waves have billows have gone over me. And that's not talking about the deep things of God. It's talking about trouble. And that's where they messed this psalm up. He's talking about somebody. He's, he's basically the psalmist is saying, I'm, on the, I'm having so much trouble and discouragement right now. I'm standing on the seashore, and before I can get cleared off from this wave and salt or whatever, that before I can get dried off, another wave just keeps coming, and the deep just keeps running out. Have you ever been like that in your life? You've been in a spot where you just think, man, it just keeps coming. I thought trouble was over, and another wave came. And we sing that wrong. Some guys preach it wrong, and all that, just because it sounds good. But the psalmist is talking about his trouble here. And I'll prove it to you. Let's go to Psalm 69. Let me show you something in Psalm 69. Same kind of language the psalmist is using. All these are in the same group, David and his boys. Most of them, except for a couple given to Moses. Uh, in Psalm 69, let me read you something that's said here. See, it sounds like the same kind of cry from the very beginning. It says, Save me, O God, for the waters have... Come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fall while I wait for my God. Now there's, there's let me take you back to Psalm 42 in just a minute. But there is a cry in our hearts. And here's the challenge we have. We face trouble. The challenge is to not get discouraged and get in the flesh and try to do things on our own or to get discouraged and have to start saying things like the psalmist said in 42 here, I used to go, I used to participate, I used to get along with God, I used to read His Word. This is the worst thing you can ever say to me. When I say, are you reading your Bible, don't say I read it once. I don't want to hear it. I read it once. You're missing the point. Your Bible is spiritual food. It's not just history. There's history in there. It's not just practical application. There's practical application in there. It's not just foretelling or prophesying. A third of your Bible is prophecy. It's all in there. But it's food. These guys, as I go through these Psalms, are letting us know that it's the Word of God that's bringing them back. Because here's what happens to a lot of folks. Hear this if you don't hear anything else. If these guys had not returned to the sanctuary, had not returned to where God's Word was spoken, had not heard the fresh Word of God, had not gotten fed spiritually, right? If they hadn't done that, here's the problem. Men who knew God and knew His Word are these guys. That's how they were able to overcome. Because apart from knowledge, there would, be, there would have been desire 
but no hope. Now, let me say that again. Apart from knowledge, in other words, if they didn't have the knowledge of who God was, His character, His nature, and how He does things, if they didn't have that, they would, they would have desire, but they wouldn't have any hope. Because that Word teaches us who God is. So that we've got something, remember this word in the Hebrew, right? That we have something to put our minds on, a straight direction toward the object, in this case, which is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that we can put our affection or our uh, objection into Him with our minds so that we have hope that will affect us. If you don't know God's Word, if you're just begging around and, and feeling sorry for yourself and hoping God will wind up feeling sorry for you and fix that thing, whatever it is, that's the wrong approach to God. you got to come to God through His Word, right? He's magnified His Word even above His name. So what gives me hope even in the most dire situations is because I know God and His nature and His character through His Word. The Bible said He never leave us nor forsake us, right? He said if He's not only given us His Son, how will He not freely give us all things? Everybody say all things that pertain to life and God. In other words, if you know the nature and the character of God, when you get in a hard spot, that's what you go to. You know his nature. You know, he, you know he sent his only begotten son. Some of you probably heard me tell this story, but one of the preachers I know who works in Mexico, they had an earthquake probably in the early 2000s down there. may have been in the late 90s. And he said a school collapsed. It was an elementary school. And there was a class they couldn't get to. And they had all the, the emergency workers and, and normal people and obviously moms and dads trying to get to their children in this school. And this father's looking for his son, and, and his, they're believers, they're Christians. And his son, who was in the fifth or sixth grade, they finally reach that, and he can hear his son's voice, and they're communicating. And, he's, and, he's, and, he's, and they start talking. And his son, he had done such a good job of instilling faith in his 10 or 11-year-old son that when he called out to his son, he said, I'll be there to get you. His son said, get everybody else first because I know you won't leave me here. What about that from a 10 or 11-year-old? Get everybody first. He had that much confidence in his father. Now, that's an earthly father, right? Think about your heavenly father who's already been around the corner before you get there. Think about your heavenly father that paves his streets with gold, that his stock market's fine up there, right? Think about your heavenly father that has provision, that he don't lack anything, his hands not waxed short. Is anything too hard for the Lord, he told Mary. That's the father you have. If you don't see God as a father, you're going to miss most of what he does. Now, a lot of people just want one side of that. Now, he does discipline. The Bible says he chastens those whom he loves. And you need to study that word. It's pretty extensive. It's not just get away from that. But it's intentional. God chastens. The Bible says if, you, if you're a Christian and you sit here and you don't get chastened, the, you, the Bible says you don't belong to him. So you're not a Christian. God will bring us into discipline at times. It's for our own good, right? If you see your child dart across the road, you're probably going to discipline it without looking both ways, right? Because you want it to remember that moment of conflict so the next time it comes to the cross or the road, the crossroads, that he'll stop and look. You don't just stand back and say, oh, he made it that time. He'll probably make it the next time. Just let him keep doing his own thing. He's, after all, he's seven. 
right? So we don't, we don't do that with our children, neither does God. God disciplines us. It's for our own good. The Bible says Jesus learned, to thing, learned obedience through, the things, uh, through, chast- through discipline, right? So we all need to understand that God's working on our behalf. You know, you may feel like you're in a jam like these psalmists did, but God's ever working, and He's the one to go to. If you abandon God, you don't have anywhere else to go. If you abandon God's Word or His truth, there's nowhere else to go. Where are you going to go? And I think when Jesus was going to the cross, and we see those folks arguing about who He was or who He wasn't, they couldn't agree on their lies, right? That's the world. That's where the world's at with God and His stuff. They, they can't even agree together. I'm telling you, the world that is so focused on everything that's anti-God, and that's how they are. We live in a godless culture as the sh- a shadow here. They're going to wind up turning on themselves. That's what sin does. Sin will cause them to turn. They will eat themselves up. The Bible makes that plain, how that that'll happen. They'll turn on themselves. You'll see God's people standing, and then the enemy, like he talked about Jehoshaphat, they'll turn on themselves. Because sin has no good end. Nobody wins in sin. Nobody. The one with the most money may wind up out on top because he had the ability to have the most security. But if he stays in sin, it'll do him in. I'm going to be a poet before this sermon's over. (laughs) Nobody wins with sin. And if you stay in sin, it will do you in. And that's, that's not the eloquent way to say it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So no one wins in sin. If you turn from God or if you turn from His Word... You're not even the biggest, maybe you're in the middle of a mess right now. That's your only hope. The world can't fix it. You can't fix it. You want to really triumph, then you need to look to God. And let Him do everything He's doing inside of you. And then watch Him bring the victory. The Bible says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord shall deliver him out of them all. Somebody give Him praise for that. So the psalmist says, he says, these waves have come over me. He said, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in, in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to God of my life. Now, here's what a lot of people don't realize. That when Jesus stepped out onto the scene, the first thing that, he was, that happened to him is he was took to the wilderness to be tested. And guess who took him? The Holy Spirit. Read your Bible. The the devil was waiting out there. But the Bible says the Spirit capitalized, drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Bible talks about two different kinds of temptation. It talks about entering into temptation and falling into temptation. In entering, Jesus said, watch and pray that you do not enter. In falling, James said, rejoice about falling into temptation, right? The difference is between entering and falling. If you enter into temptation, you willfully make a choice to go after it. If you fall into a place of trials and temptation, God has brought you there for a reason to work on you and I so that He can train us and make us, right, what He wants us to be. So there's a difference. If you willfully choose to walk out that door, you made a decision. But I'll guarantee you, none of you plan off walking out the curb and falling on your face and knocking your two front teeth out. Who plans on doing that this morning? 
you fall, right? You, if you, that happens, you fall. And we don't want you to do that either. But that's, that's the difference between falling. The Bible's not contradictory. The Bible is clear and concise. So you and I are not above our master, Jesus said, right? If they hated him, they, if, he's, if he's going to be tried, then the Bible says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. We're going to have some of that as well, right? We're going to be trained by that. But here's what we're getting comfort from. These guys who were in battles, but they knew where to go. They got enough God's Word in them that if you've got the desire, but you don't have the knowledge of God's Word, you won't have any hope. And that's the difference. So I challenge you to get into God's Word. You need to make sure that you get in God's Word. Let's go to John 14. Let me finish up in the New Testament. In John 14... Jesus says something here that I'm going to talk to you about. In John 14, let's look at verse 25, or excuse me, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's not optional, right? And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Now, the, the Holy Spirit is just like the Father and the Son. He don't need your ideas. He needs you to line up with truth and me, right? God, God doesn't need our ideas. He needs people who surrender to Him and obey His Word. Let your life be established around His Word. Everything you do, let it all be established around God's Word. That's the only way out of here. And he says, uh, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And, I, and that's the difference. And you, if you've been following those teachings on Wednesday morning at 630, and they're all up online as well, we do 30-minute teachings for the last 13 weeks on the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's, what, that's the difference. You, you know, I grew up around some circles that said the Holy Spirit didn't come until Acts. That's foolish. The Holy Spirit was here in Genesis Paul said that he was speaking through Isaiah. The Bible says he rested on Samson. But it was different. What happened in Acts is he went from being with them to being in them. Right? That's the difference. So, and, and there's a lot that goes along with that. You can join us or watch those as we go deeper and deeper into that. He says, A little while longer and the world will, not, will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. He says, uh, I'll, You will live also. And at that day you will know that I am in my Father and you and me, and I and you, and he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. There it is again, right? This, you know, I heard that question for years, and finally I did, the Lord just kind of said, there's how you know if somebody loves me, if they keep my commandments. And so I tell people, they say, I don't know if I'm right with God or if I'm saved. There's the test. Do you keep his commandments? We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about a lifestyle. Do you practice keeping God's word? He says, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not as scared, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, said, if anyone loves me, it's the third time, he will keep my word. So, I mean, you don't have to come up with your own brand of Christianity. There it is. That's Christianity. Repent. Surrender your life to Christ, invite Him into your heart, and then follow His teachings. That's Christianity. Do His teachings. He says, And my Father will love Him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. That's the test. There you go. That's the test. I don't care if they went up in Bible school or not. 
that's the test. If you want to know if you're in love with God and if you're walking with Him, that's the test. If you're following His teachings, keeping His commands. It's really that simple. We made it way too hard. Right? I took communion. I got baptized. I went up in Bible school. That's all fine. But do you obey Him? That's the test. That's the real test. The real test of a job is whether you show up for work or not. Right? That's the real test. Heard about a guy who hired three people one day. The next day, all three of them showed up. When break came, they all three left. They never came back. So they don't get the pay, right? They don't get the benefits. So he says, These things I spoke to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives. Everybody say, Irene. That's the Greek word for peace. I want you to remember that. Irene. It is so close to shalom. They are almost married to one another. <clears throat> this Greek word in the New Testament is really close to shalom. Shalom is the cessation of againstness. In other words, if you're at peace, there's nothing between you and God or you and your neighbor. Right? And your neighbor is in proximity of reach with you. So I use this. I wish we could learn to do this. And be real with it because then we could solve a lot of issues before they get ever, ever get out of hand. If I say to Rob, Shalom, then I'm saying two things to Rob. I'm saying everything's good with me and God and everything's good with me and you, Rob. If Rob says Shalom back, then I know the same. If, if Rob says Shalom to me and I say, hey, how's it going, dude? Then Rob's probably, if we were real and honest, then Rob would be, know one of two things. Something going on between him and God. Or something's between he and I. And he, Rob could even say, hey, is there something between you and I? And I could say, no. And, he's, and then if he wants to get a little closer, he could say, how about you and God? And I could say, maybe. It'd be a good way to help care for one another. To help bear one another's burdens. If we could train ourselves to use the word shalom. Because that lets us know that everything's either good or not. You might want to start with your wife. You get up in the morning, your wife says shalom, and you say, Is the coffee ready? <laughs> Sounds like me or her. <laughs> we both use that line. Is the coffee ready? <laughs> Pop up out of bed. The devil's really shot that in on us Americans, right? First thing out of our mouth is coffee. Where's the coffee? And so you want to make sure that you are right with God. This word Irene, I want to take it a little further. Um, Irene is kin to shalom and it means a harmonious relationship to trust in the relationship with God that Jesus has established for you. So next time you hear the word Irene, let that flood into your heart. That you are in, if I can say it that way, you, are, you have nothing against you because of the relationship that Jesus has established for us. That's what he's saying here with the word peace. The cessation of againstness, of course, is, is overriding as well. But he says, <clears throat> he said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Now, how does the world try to give us peace? 
They try to give us peace in a lot of ways, don't they? And that's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about. Hence, back to the prophetic word, Zoe. God is saying, I want you to live and have peace in this relationship. I don't want you to be tormented or stressed. Say, it's not God's will for me to live in fear or stress. That's not God's plan for our life. It's not God's plan. I love this passage, and I'm going to close in just a moment, but I love this passage where the prophet standing in front of Paul takes his girdle, wraps it around himself, and says, the guy that this belongs to is going to be hauled, arrested basically, and hauled up to Jerusalem. And Paul looks at him, and they're all weeping, you know, because he's prophesying to Paul. And Paul looks at him and said, not only am I ready to be bound and hauled up, but I'm ready to die for the gospel. What's the devil do with somebody like that? I said for years, the, the, the devil had to stay on Valiums while Paul was walking on earth. I could, I could just see the demons that were assigned to Paul trying to trade all the time. I will give you Paul. I'll take 50 of the people you're watching out for, and you can have Paul. I could just see Paul getting out of bed, and the, de the demons saying, oh, goodness, here we go. We've snake bit him. We've had him shipwrecked. We've stoned him, and he just keeps coming. He will not stop. That's how I want to be. I want us to be known as people in Basilea ministry and living water, as the people when God is looking for somebody to do something, that if he gets turned away, I want this to be what they say in heaven. Take it down there to those guys. They'll do anything we ask. I want that to be my lot, my family's lot, your lot, that whatever God asks of us. And the first thing he's asked of us is to obey him and lay our lives down. And don't get in a spot where you have to say, I used to do that. Now, this is time for renewal this morning. We've got plenty of good word in the word. God speaks to us occasionally out of the, to confirm the word. But this is the time for renewal. You're going to need all the strength you can muster in these last days. You guys can come to the instruments. Now, I want to give you one more nugget. In the scripture, the Bible says in Luke and John, I think Matthew, Mark and Luke and Matthew, John the Baptist says, the Messiah's coming, basically, make straight his path. Now, if you don't dig around on that, you're going to think, like, everybody let him through. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, get everything out of my way so I can get to you. Now, think about that for a minute. Are you in the flesh in any way that you're trying to outdo God? You've got stuff cluttered. Oh, God, I'll take care of that. I told you the Lord rebuked me a few couple of weeks ago about something that I was trying to do in my own strength. And the Lord said, reminded me, he said, I've been doing that for you for 55 years. And he'd already rebuked me twice. This was the third rebuke. And he said, would you like to trade places? And I said, no, Lord. You keep doing what you're doing, I'll back off. So you want to get everything out of his way. Now, what could those things be? Maybe they could be fear. Get it out of his way so he can reach you. Maybe it could be greed. Get it out of his way so he can reach you. Maybe it be unforgiveness. Get it out of his way 
so he can reach you. Let it all go. If you're holding on to something that you need to let go of, it's hurting you and the people around you. Because you can't be all you're supposed to be in Christ if you're holding on to junk. And Jesus is saying, I need to get to you to restore you. you got this stuff in my way. Get it out of my way. Let's stand our feet. Lord, we thank you for this moment we have as we, all of us, myself included, God, as we come to this moment, first with prayer and a season of whatever needs to happen. Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's re-upping something that we've let slide. And as we culminate at your table in just a few moments, let us all be renewed in this place. Just a simple recommitment. Every one of us who have maybe strayed Maybe there are things that all of us could say, we used to. We want to stop saying we used to. We want to come back to that thing that we know you're pleased with. Let us get all the clutter out of your way, Lord, so you can visit our home, our spiritual home. Maybe we got a sofa in the way or a bunch of boxes, figuratively speaking. May we open our lives just like that woman at the well who was so vulnerable but you were the master surgeon that day you didn't embarrass her you just opened her up and like a wonderful surgeon pulled all that out of her and cleaned her up gave her hope without a question mark we all need to live right there Lord with the cessation of againstness in a settled state with great expectation. This altar's open as we worship Him. If you need to renew, whatever you need to do, if you're lost, certainly come.